This is the PropTech VC Podcast. We give you unique insights into how innovative technologies are disrupting real estate. We interview top entrepreneurs, investors, and knowledgeable experts to share the inside scoop in this fast-moving industry. It's hosted by leading PropTech VC, Zane Jaffer. Let's dive into today's content. What, um, we, we talked about enjoying the home you live in. How should one think about living below their means? This obviously goes down to your personal philosophy around life and, and money and spending and wealth. But living below your means or, or, or stretching a little bit, buying a home in a better location, even if it's a bit of a stretch and banking on yourself that you know, you'll know you be able to meet the, 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 the debt obligations. What, what's, what's your philosophy here? I, I've got a few thoughts, but I'd love to hear yours first. So I think the way I think about it is, at the end of the day, when someone's buying their primary residence, right? So, you know, this is the home you want to live in. I think people should always buy a place with, you know, what they would really enjoy. You should not buy a home that, you know, that feels like a compromise at the time of purchase because then you'll never enjoy it. So I think first and foremost, like independent of budget, my personal philosophy is also, if you're ready to buy, buy something you really love because you'll be spending so much of your time at home, especially these days with COVID, right? Everyone's working from home. Like, but even sure. outside of that, you're buying a home, you're buying the neighborhood. So make a commitment to something that you will enjoy. Because if you do that, then when it comes to maybe stretching yourself a little bit on the upside or on the downside, you wouldn't mind making those smaller sacrifices because you've kept the bigger picture in mind here. The challenge will happen is if you don't love your home, then every small sacrifice will pinch you every single day. And that's not the right way to live. And you'll end up getting out of your home sooner. You'll pay big transaction costs to agents and you'll have penalties or whatever if you want exactly. to do things. Uh, yeah, a uh, you know, piece of advice I have, and this is advice that my uh, financial advisor gave me was, decide if you want a home for investment or a home to live in. Don't try to compromise and do both. And this is a common mentality with people. Well, I want to find a home I love, but I also want to find a home that will be a really good investment. And eventually you end up compromising and it's so-so on both ends. Either be focused on the investment opportunity, find a great location with appreciation, and just say, you know, this is a way for me to improve my net worth and financially engineer things. In some cases, buy a duplex or a fourplex if you want, right? Uh, in other cases, buy the home you love and don't focus too much on the after investment value. As long as you can afford it, right? At least the lens you look at for property will be very different, you know? Uh, that, that, that to me has been a big learning lesson and I, I eventually ended up going for a home that uh, I felt would be a home I would love. Um, of course, you know, um, now that we all work from home, it, it's a lot harder, right? You, no, no one initially thought they need that extra room to be converted into an office or yeah. they don't have an office to work in from their living room or their kitchen or whatever it may be. But that, that's the view in life. Choose something, commit to 100%. Don't waffle. Don't try to find a compromise because it's your it's your personal wellness that uh, is affected by the place that you live in. Absolutely right, right. And the thing is, like I think when you try to do say both things as you said, right, which is I want a good financial return and I want a house that love. It's like finding a unicorn. Yes, you may find the odd one, but it's really tough. And if you find something, then everyone's after it, right? So I believe that markets are efficient. So if you find something, I'm sure other people have seen it too. Like, and then there's going to be a bidding war behind it anyways, 
And so the financial return component may not work out. Yeah, and call me spiritual or, or whatever, but I do believe um, as you start to upgrade your surroundings, your life follows through as well. You move into a very beautiful neighborhood that you dream about. Suddenly you're seeing aspirations and you're seeing other people and that motivates you to work harder, right? And I think that's the psychology mindset of a homeowner where you know, they've bought a place in a nice neighborhood and now they're, you know, they're moving up. And also if you like it, chances are other people will like it too. So whilst you might not be able to make much rent from it, if you ever rented it one day, uh, if it's a place you love, hopefully that's a place other people will love. Now there's a big caveat here, right? Um, yep. I'm someone that likes contemporary postmodern type of environments, which seems to be in vogue. But, you know, if you're into Renaissance, extreme decorations and personality, uh, that that is the worst thing you can do. Uh, the home that I bought um, was staged really badly initially. They fired the agent. The agent simply remodeled it, and you know it went quickly. And we we I, I bought it obviously because I loved loved sort of the interior upgrades. But um, one piece of advice for uh, someone who wants to at least uh, sell the house one day: um, you might love it, but you want to make sure it fits what the market wants as well. You know. Yes. Some markets like contemporary, some markets like traditional, some markets like, you know, one floor because there's more, more of an elderly population. Any, anything to share on that? Um, and I, you, know, it, you know, it reminds me um, in the Bay Area, you know, when you, if you drive on the 280 freeway, uh, there is the Flintstones home. On Hillsborough, yeah. Yes, yes. And it always reminds me of that, right? It means I'm sure that the person who built it was a big fan. But I often wonder what the resale value is. That, home home? Never, that home took forever to sell. Uh, it's it's famous. I mean, you just need to go, anyone listening to this, you've got to see it, right? Go to type in yes. Flintstone Home, California. And, yes. you know, I, I think, so they ended up putting it on Airbnb, but it was a home that was on the market forever. And uh, I think the eventual list sale price or whatever was only like two, $3 million. And, and I say only because in that neighborhood, uh, that home could have gone for way more, but they made it so unique that it's impossible to find a buyer. Either the home is so unique and quirky that you'll find that one person who loves it and will pay whatever they want. But the fact is, um, people aren't gonna overpay. We, 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 I, I believe in, um, in some ways, I believe in, in sort of the, the, the market will set the price. And if there's only a bidder of one, then there's no competition. There's it, a competition. It's the same if you're selling your company. It's the same if you're selling your home. It's the same if you're selling your luxury car or whatever it is. It may be modified and custom so that someone else like you might love it. But if it's too quirky and there's only one other person interested, there's no competition. There's no incentive for someone to pay more. And I think the the the, the other thing that we do, you know, at Noah is that if you actually think about home prices and what moves there, right? The individual characteristics of a given property, they actually over time matter less. What matters more is things that so most people don't control, right? I think first and foremost is your neighborhood. So the block at which you stay or the neighborhood in which you stay actually dictates a big part of the appreciation and the pricing of the home. Then, then beyond that, the neighborhood, if you go one step further, it's the city or the metro market in which you live. So for example, if you live in the San Francisco Bay Area compared to Sacramento, all things being equal, the Bay Area homes tend to be more expensive sell for higher appreciation compared to Sacramento in certain cases. And then finally, there is the angle of the macroeconomic situation, right? So if you're selling your home, 
you know, in 2009, 2010, in a financial crisis, it may be the best home in the neighborhood. It's not going to see a lot of appreciation as compared to selling your home today, which is a seller's market because of the, you, you know, of the imbalance in supply and demand. So I think, you, you, you know, that is something which a lot of individual owners and buyers often, you know, or even sellers forget that there are macro conditions. There is the city, there is the neighborhood impact. And then there is the impact of the individual home, whether it's a four bedroom or a three bedroom. So you you really have to take a holistic view when you're actually thinking about buying or selling a house and not just that particular asset in particular. And and to that point, taking a holistic view, and this is a painful lesson for me, being an Indian, I grew up in a poor neighborhood. My parents weren't wealthy and I'm used to finding a bargain. I'm used to being very cheap. And it was a painful lesson for me to unlearn in real estate because I would look at the asset itself and I'd want to maximize my cash on cash return. I'd want to maximize the cash flows and the want to get the best value price per square foot. I want to get a bargain. And I did that. I bought a couple of properties like that. And then I bought a few properties that my agent pushed me to buy. These were single family rentals, some in the Bay Area. And some of these were beautiful properties that were more expensive. I wasn't making as much rental yield on, but they were in good neighborhoods. And you know, now I'm thinking of selling these and I've, I've had offers and guess what? There's very little, almost no appreciation on the ones that were uh, for cash flow. Uh, but the ones that were in a better neighborhood with better fundamentals, uh, the appreciation is very real. And that yeah. game is powerful when you, when, you, when you look at things like a mortgage. Because if you're yeah. building principal and you're putting some money down, there's that leverage. You know, a $50,000 down payment and a $200,000 increase in home value, that's a very high return. 5X, yeah, no, that's a 5X, you know, cash on cash return for you. And the reality is that your, your rental yields will never get you a 5X cash on cash return. Never, right? never. So, no, that's, you know, that makes another case, right? That if you put, even if you put three or 5% down, but getting started on that journey actually creates this compounding effect because your mortgage is amortized, so that's clearing equity on, you know, from downside protection. Home is appreciating if it's in a good neighborhood, that's creating upside leverage. So you, do, you really are winning from that perspective as a homeowner, as compared to a renter today. Always be compounding. That, that is the biggest thing I, I would, and this is the advice I give to a lot of people that reach out looking for advice. It seems to be the same thing I say, if you, especially if you're early on in your career, or you've just graduated, get a job, Diligently put a percentage of the income that you have into savings, have a rainy day fund, and then start to save up for that home and make that down payment and own that home. And then uh, over time, as you pay down your mortgage and your uh, income increases and your um, mortgage balance or principal balance decreases too, go buy another home or go invest in stocks and keep compounding Right, that's where the magic happens in, in, in life. And if you compound over five, 10, 20 years, you, you said it at the very beginning on, on, on a you know, pre- previous segment where, what, what, what were the stats again? You think you said it was $255,000 average net worth of a homeowner versus 15,000 of a renter, is that right? No, what's it 1,500? So it's a 44X. $1,500, one five zero zero for a renter. That's the net worth. Yep. I mean, that, that's a crazy difference. I know I've heard this stat before, but I still thought 15. And, you know, 15K versus 255 tells the story completely. But 1,500, I mean, you, you, if you're talking about America, 
you are one accident away from having nothing because healthcare yeah, isn't the, free. <laughs> which is the CNBC or the, there was an article a couple of years ago, right, where a lot of Americans can't afford the emergency expense is because of that. Uh, you know, and that obviously creates a challenge on the path of home ownership, right? You know, the other way to think about it is a home as a source of wealth, that's great. But then how do you manage that wealth? Like, how do you compound the wealth that you have, right? And, you know, like a philosophy we have at NOAA is to think about if you had $255,000 of cash, you would most likely have a financial advisor. You would have somebody who looks after that money or professionally True. is investing that money. True. Like, but given that Americans today are sitting on $8 trillion of home equity wealth, which is actually more than the stock market, right? You know, so residential wealth actually exceeds in market cap the stock market today. But most residents or most homeowners don't have a home advisor. Right? So if you think about it from that perspective, we really think that in the future, you need somebody, it could be a piece of software, it could be technology, it could be a human person to become an unbiased advisor for you and your home to say, hey, it's now time to refinance to save on your mortgage rates. It's time to do some home improvements because the home can benefit for that. It's time to like maybe upgrade your homeowner's insurance policy because you are not fully insured. So there are four or five things that really matter. And I think there is a tremendous opportunity here to create a platform also for home wealth management, which can actually help people make the type of decisions, which obviously often come with experience. You have a lot of that, but the average person does not. So you can actually use technology to do those things for yourself as well. Yeah. And then the different podcast episode, uh, we, we had someone come on and talk about also buying fractional shares in different real estate in different markets. Yeah which previously was never available. You know, you would have to club together with some friends and that's complicated to do. Somehow you'd have to qualify for debt financing for the mortgage and then you'd buy a project overall. And it's great to see new forms of access today where you can buy a fractional ownership in a real estate investment or even an index of real estate, which basically means multiple properties in Texas or Chicago. Many crowdfunding platforms are going this direction too. Yeah, which is what our, you know, so we normally work with institutional investors on that side of the platform, right? So we have, we have the consumer platform where we have home equity access for existing homeowners, we have down payment assistance for buyers, but all of that capital for the NOAA platform actually comes from institutions. So we end up working with pensions, with family offices, we work with, you know, private equity funds. And the reason they come to us is what you mentioned, they want access to high quality single family homes in good neighborhoods because they are able to provide that capital earn a return on their in like investment while also helping consumers you know when it comes to their financial needs and cash flow so it creates kind of this unique you know alignment of interests as i call it both the consumer and the in, like investor wins uh, by sharing the appreciation so on that note how can our audience reach you? Are you looking for anything from any of our viewers? What's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Oh, well, the best way. So my uh, so my email address is pretty simple. It is my first name, Sahil, S-A-H-I-L, at the rate of NOAA, N-O-A-H, uh, .co. So if your viewers have any ideas for us. Oh, it's dot .co, right? Dot .co. Yes, it's dot .co. That's right. Uh, so it is sahil at noah.co. They obviously can email me directly. It's more than happy to chat with anybody. 
either about the consumer side of the business or the investment side of the business. We also have a website, Noah.co. So if they're looking for financing, I would say just go there. We have an amazing team uh, that is pretty experienced across mortgages and home equity and would be more than happy to assist them with whatever they need. Sahel, thank you so much for coming on today's show. Absolutely, Zen. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.